Hi, and welcome to the Narrowboat Podcast. My name is Lydia, and I've lived on a boat for about a year and a half. In that time, I've come across so many interesting people who have also taken to the water, either to live or to work or both. And so I've been dreaming of this podcast for a while. I want to meet and talk to other boaters and document their stories and share tips with you on how to make this lifestyle financially viable or how to paint the outside of your boat, which as I've recently learned is not that hard, but is annoyingly time consuming and temperature dependent. One of the major reasons I haven't started this podcast until now is because I wasn't really sure where to start. But like most things, the best place to start is at the beginning. So I've invited along my brother, Elliot, who is a much more experienced host. And the idea is that he will interview me and we'll talk about why I bought a boat and my experience so far. But do not be fooled, I'll be hosting this podcast in the future. This is just sort of a one-off. So without further ado, Elliot, I'll let you take it from here. Hello, Lydia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I am well. I'm not thrilled that you think this is a one-off. I just want you to know that if this becomes a raving success... It's because of you? If they want me, they can have me. (laughs) I know nothing about narrowboating, but I'm happy to be the dumb one who asks the dumb questions. That's good. You know nothing about narrowboating. I know nothing about hosting. (laughs) Oh, well, look, I I must say, I love the idea that you're doing this. You literally dropped me a WhatsApp just with like almost like a little test and a little sample. And both me and my girlfriend, Mari, were in the car and we were just listening to it. And it was like, this sounds amazing. (laughs) So I'm I'm, first of all, congratulations, because I know these things aren't easy to get off the ground. But I think it's really exciting. Um, I mean, first of all, sort of everybody else listening, I'm really interested to to know as a brother, as a friend, why you decided to do this. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a family friend of ours, and uh, actually someone who we used to go boating with as a kid. and, And I was talking about wanting to be able to do something creative and stuff like that and she said to me Lydia it's the most obvious thing you work in audio why don't you start a podcast so yeah so just a bit of background about me as I uh, I work in tv I actually mix tv programs and I record voiceover for a living um, so she was saying to me it seems so obvious but I feel like even though our family we sort of grew up doing shows and things like that I mean Elliot you've always been the host or the person on stage really you and mum are like on stage and then me dad and Miles my younger brother our younger brother sorry we're like behind the scenes people as you should be (laughs) maybe it's like I've got a face for radio maybe that's what what people are trying to say (laughs) yeah but yeah I don't know I just uh she talked to me about this really early on in lockdown and I was like yeah maybe thinking no way Emma not gonna happen and she kept she was so persistent she kept messaging me and kept messaging me about it and then one day I mean my boyfriend was was out I think it was at work and, and I was thinking maybe I could do it and I was thinking but how do you start something like that what is ep one you know mm-hmm. and so I grabbed a, an audio recorder of mine that no I didn't even do that I, I recorded it on my laptop and I honestly just talked about rubbish for like two minutes and uh, I ended up saying the words today I've invited along my brother and so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why I bought a boat don't be fooled he's not the host I am this is just a a one-off and uh, I mixed some music into it and I sent it to Elliot and I said nothing about it I just sent him the file and then he came back with okay pressure (laughs) (laughs) yeah and uh, I, I like the fact that you're talking in second person when I'm right here. 
Um, I, I, I know, sorry. You, you've distanced me so much from front of stage to back of stage that you feel like we're not even in the same room. So this is my podcast now. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's really cool. And obviously, I know you very, very well. But I think it's probably just going to be really useful for those who are listening to you for the first time. Obviously, you've already created a very, very engaging community on Instagram, and I, I want to get onto that as well because I know that you started the Instagram just for the pure love of the project of of narrow boating, and it's now turned into something that maybe you didn't expect. Um, but who are you? How old are you? Why don't you just give us a, a quick brief overview of um, who you are and how we got to this point? Just what, just give you my Tinder profile information. <laughs> well, you can leave me and your boyfriend, George, out of that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> please feel free to carry on. Yeah. Um, so my name is Lydia and um, I'm 26 years old now. Uh, I was 24 when I uh, when I bought my boat, when I was looking to buy my boat. I work in London. As I just said, I work in London in TV. I work in a studio in Covent Garden. I commute there every day. I went to an arts university. I'm a very sort of artistic, film-loving, cinema-going person and musical theatre lover, that sort of annoying person that always busts out into singing Wicked whenever is not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, that is me. So... Um, yeah, it's a bit of a um, juxtaposition, really, that I, I can be quite extroverted. But when it comes to stuff like this, it just absolutely terrifies me. And I'm a real introvert. So this is really me pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And I hope that uh, everyone can appreciate that. I might not be really good at it straight away, but I hope I'm going to get there. Well, do you know what? I mean, I, say, I, I, I don't know your audience as much as you do, but I'm sure that they'll just be interested to to better understand your story. I'm sure they'll be interested in it. I'm sure they'll also be interested to learn and understand the stories of the people that you are going to be speaking to. Um, but as well, I just want to understand like, why why did you create the Instagram profile Narrowboat? underscore lily underscore may what what led you to do that why, why didn't you just put it on your own profile you know i did do that at first i was putting the pictures on my own profile and i really felt like i was bothering a lot of people who follow me all, like all of my what 200 followers at the time <laughs> on my personal instagram account and so i on instagram you can follow tags and i had followed uh, the narrowboat tag on instagram just for sort of inspiration really for decor inspiration and things like that and then i discover this whole community of people people like me young girls young women really who are living on boats and sharing their complete experience and showing all of their diy projects and all of their you know decor things that they had done and i just like i, I want to do that i want in on that you know so uh, so yeah i made my instagram account with no expectations really and this summer i reached my first 1000 subscribers so not subscribers okay so that just shows you that just shows you how inexperienced you are in this field how rude if you're going to become a real so social influencer with your 1000 uh, followers on instagram you need to get the lingo right <laughs> See, this is not what I'm designed to do. I'm designed to record other people, but um, I'm giving it a go. So just give me a break. But it's nice though. And again, from the outside looking in, I mean, see, I, I, can't, I can't even begin to make up that I know what the, the ins and outs are of living on a canal boat. But I think, again, it's just so lovely that there's clearly this community feel that you do feel when you're living either within a marina or if you're on the cut. But I think it's great as well that you can reach out to, to people, not just in the UK, but all over the world that do this full time. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm proud of you. And I think it's a really good thing. 
Yeah, I think it's just definitely made me feel less of the freak who lives on the boat by seeing so many people who are just like me doing the same thing. And uh, there are there are YouTube channels of people who document their complete stories online. And, and I've always really admired these people, but just never thought that I would be able to do that myself just because I'm so awkward on camera and even on microphone as we're now learning. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I always really envied them. And, and even my dad got really into watching the videos after I told him I wanted to buy a boat and he and I would be sending the videos to each other and all these things and and then maybe one of those people would like one of my pictures on Instagram and I'd be like dad you'll never believe you'll never believe who <laughs> follows me <laughs> yeah you know like real boat celebrities and so this I, I suppose is is the the only way that I felt that I could uh, get involved in that community really was was a my Instagram and B, sort of bringing my audio skills into it with the podcast. And with the podcast, that sort of means that I don't just have to tell my stories all the time. I really want to talk to other people and find out what their stories are. I'm interesting for one episode, but I'm not interesting for, you know, three years of videos online. So if we could just do one episode about about every person and every sort of different living situation, whether they're a family aboard, whether they're, you know, a couple aboard or maybe they're renovating a boat or whatever i think uh, i think we can really keep this engaging oh well, and as well i think even though you all share a common interest is that you live on water and you live on a canal boat it's it's all the other add-ons in a person's life that make their lifestyle interesting and i think you and the listeners of this podcast will better understand that you know one story is not the same as everybody else's story even though even though the lifestyle looks fairly similar and even mm. I've recognized that having only just been on, on your boat only a couple of times yeah I think I really want this podcast to be able to first of all educate people you know even if you're already living on a boat there's lots to learn from other people's experiences maybe they had a new kitchen fitted and they had to figure that whole thing out then you know people will talk about that and you'll learn for when you want to change your kitchen but also for people who are looking to buy a boat because it is a daunting experience there's only so much information online and so if we could get people to talk about their real life experiences then we're just going to make that process so much easier for people and then there's the growing the community aspect of it you know I think when you meet other boaters you've got something to connect about and connect over and I know that I've got a great relationship with the people who I live with in my marina and things like like that and I think that I want to take that experience online and just allow people to meet other boaters via listening and hearing about their stories and then being able to go and find their Instagram page or their YouTube page or etc. Let's get on to how your canal boat journey started. You know, living on a canal boat is still quite a radical idea. It's not just a progression of life that, okay, well, you know, I live at home, I move out. Oh, and then I'll live on a canal boat before buying my own flat. So was there was there anyone that you sort of looked at or any, I don't know, any YouTube videos that you looked at before going onto a canal boat that really sort of inspired you to consider living on one? It's funny, I don't remember what YouTube channel I first came across, but I do remember watching a documentary on Netflix and it was all about alternative living. It was actually called How to Live Mortgage Free. And there was this girl, she was a model and she bought a barge. I mean, it was a it was a complete wreck and she did it up completely. 
all in all, I think it cost her about 25 grand to buy it and do it up. And I was like, oh, 25 grand, that is, I can do that. I mean, maybe not now, maybe because I didn't have that in my bank at the time, but it was like, it just felt like something that I could do because I saw this other young girl doing it. When you started, like, did you have any idea in mind as to like how long you would commit to living on the boat? Because I can imagine, you know, some people have lived their whole lives on the boat, but was it ever part of your thinking that this was going to be something which you would do for the rest of your life? No, not for me, to be honest. I think it was always sort of a stepping stone to be able to buy a house. And I'll definitely get into that in a, in a minute because I was thinking that I can't afford to buy a house or anything just yet. And the cost of a boat is the cost of a deposit for a flat. And so it just seemed like a much more achievable goal. But I always assumed that I would move off of the boat in five years. And now I have the boat, I actually think maybe I won't, maybe I won't sell it which is uh, a complete 180, really. Did you have an idea in mind? Like, did you do any uh, looking into costs or anything? Like, how much were you spending on your rent in London? Yeah, so this is the thing. I was spending around £700 on rent. That is on the low end, to be honest, of what people spend. And um, that just didn't seem sustainable to me. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to start saving up to buy a flat as a single person, I had, you know, I was not in a relationship. I wasn't even close to being in a relationship really. And I didn't see myself settling down with anyone within the next sort of four years really to be able to buy a place. And so I was spending 700 pounds on rent and I really got into the idea of saving and I was trying to put away 300 pounds every month. But the thing is, if you put away 300 pounds every month for six years without ever dipping into it, like ever, then at the end of that six years, all you've saved is £20,000. And in today's market, you just, you just can't buy anything, especially not near London for that amount of money. If I were to save £300 for six years, in that time, I'd have thrown away £42,000 on rent. That's just paying someone else's mortgage. And that's only if my rent never went up, which of course it probably would. Yeah. So it was just insane to me. I mean, that's certainly something which I can obviously really understand. I mean, I think you and I are both in a similar position whereby we we moved out of our home because of uni or whatever, quite young. So we've always kind of been in the psyche of being somebody who rents. And that's just something that we do. It never feels like a a sure thing that you are ever going to get onto the property ladder so it's quite it's quite a uh, as a brother looking looking onto you it's quite a thing to sort of have that uh, change in thinking so early on that you are willing to take this risk yeah i mean for me and it sounds so morbid to say this but it did feel like i wasn't going to be able to buy a place for myself until i got some sort of family inheritance and that is awful it's such a horrible thing to say out loud but that is where where I felt I was. And I was like, I'm just going to be renting in London. And that's the other thing is my job is London-based. And you can't really do what I do anywhere else in the UK. It started a bit in Manchester and there is some in Leeds, but it's it's not big up there really yet. And so for my job, you have to you just have to be in London. There's no other option for that. And I just felt like that was really impacting on my way of life really on my life to spend that much money on my rent to throw away just such a massive part of my income which you know as a sort of arty person out coming out of arts university with a massive loan and to finally have a, a job that I liked and everything but 
it's not a massive paying job and it was just it just seemed depressing to me and I was thinking oh god why didn't I just train to be a an accountant or a banker or something (laughs) and I I hate yeah I just hate that I think that people should be able to explore the careers that are going to keep them happy in the long run and shouldn't be looking for just money jobs no I completely agree did you have much of a plan like did you did you sit down with anyone to sort of be like okay this is I want to look into this and this is what I think I should do to be honest, I fully sprung it on mum and dad. It was quite funny, actually. I had been privately researching this for God knows how many months, really. And uh, and I sort of had my spreadsheets up and I was looking at, you know, what I could afford and all this thing. I was watching so many YouTube videos about it. And then one day, I think I was at mum's house and uh, and I just said, so I'm thinking of buying a boat. And she was like, you, you what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I came across this boat, which was on Gumtree. And it was, it was so pretty. It was a really like good looking boat. And it was, uh, it was 40 grand. And it was in a marina, not too far from my granddad's house. And I was like, I think I want to go look at this boat. So like, where, so, I mean, you talk about, you talk about Gumtree, you talk about the, the place where you're going to look, but where, where, where does one look for narrow boats? I mean, you know, I, I can't imagine like, is there, is there a right move or a Zoopla for narrow boats? Yeah, completely. There's uh, there's loads of websites actually um, for buying boats. There's some that are really tailored towards buying yachts and things like that, like sea boats. And, uh, and lots of people list them on Facebook groups mainly or Facebook Marketplace and Gumtree. But the main website where pretty much all the traffic is if you're looking to buy a narrowboat is called Apollo Duck. And that's where if you speak to anyone, that's where they've bought their boat from. And then when you get into the nitty gritty of like, does it work in a similar way to how one would buy a flat or a house? Do you have to lay down a deposit? Is there a mortgage or do you just pay for the boat up front with some phantom money that you've just found? Well, this is actually one of the things I want to get to the bottom to on the podcast, because I feel like people don't really talk about this a lot. There's hundreds of people out there with boats and they can't all just have 20 to 30 or even sometimes 100 grand sitting in their bank account ready to buy a boat. And so that's really something that I want to talk to each individual about is how the hell did they go about buying their boat? It seems so far that a lot of people either had the money from selling their house and having that money left over, or they had savings because they were looking to buy a flat and then thought, I don't really want to get tied into this 35-year mortgage thing. But for me, I, I didn't have that money. And so it was our granddad that came up with the idea at looking at loans. It had never really crossed my mind before because I was someone who always just bought the things I wanted with the money that I had saved. And so, you know, my car I had just saved up for. I actually had like a terrible credit score because I'd never had any credit. And uh, that was a pretty big hurdle when I was looking at at loans. And uh, I went on sort of moneysavingexpert.com and tried to see what loans I'd be eligible for. And it turns out pretty much none, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that that's a real issue for people of, of my age. You know, as I said, I was 24 at the time and I was eligible for nothing, really. It was just by chance, really, that I came across a boat specific loan company and they actually normally do loans for people looking to buy yachts and looking to buy a boat that is five hundred thousand pounds and so little old me just emailing them like can you give me 20 grand you know you were low risk but i wasn't low risk to them i really wasn't and the only reason that they gave me a loan is because i signed my dad on as a guarantor 
the the one benefit of this company is though that they they looked at my account through affordability and not through my credit score. So they uh, they asked for like every single thing that goes out of my bank account and they really looked at how much I could afford compared to how much I was earning. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that because there was just no way otherwise, you know, I'd probably have had to do sort of like a, a family loan, which I know a lot of people do is borrow money from their family. And Unfortunately, I don't think anyone in our family just happens to have that money lying around. So. <laughs> well, I can certainly say for myself that um, you know I've 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 got my own priorities. So uh, back of the line, kidder. Yeah. Hey, hey, do you want to give me uh, twenty grand? <laughs> yeah. No? With the biggest interest rate ever. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing with this loan company that I went to. The interest rate is fairly high. It's twelve point nine percent interest, which uh, anyone would tell you is a terrible business deal to accept that loan. But it really was my only option if I was going to do this. And so I, I went I went for it. And the thing is, I was looking at affordability and I know I've already spoken about my sort of like six year plan of if I were to save £300 a month, then I'd have £20,000 in six years. And this way I could get a loan and I could pay uh, about £550 a month and in five years own it outright. And so to little old me in front of my MacBook, that was just like, oh my God, I've nailed this. Yeah. So I want to get onto your budget and how you were even able to put the money down to even get the mortgage. But could you clarify, because I think you've spoken about this before and I haven't really massively picked up on it, but could you not just go to the bank and just get a normal loan to put on a boat? Well, that's the thing is the bank just didn't see me as a good option to someone to lend to because I had no credit score at all. And so what I actually did when I started looking is I immediately got a credit card from my bank and um, and started to sort of build that credit score. And after about three months, it was clear that this was not going to be a fast process. So I, yeah, I, I sort of applied for some bank loans and basically they just told me, it's not going to happen, kid. <laughs> And I think what's quite funny is sometimes uh, you'll see on Facebook pages and things, people say, get a bank loan or get a loan from Sainsbury's or the post office, all those sorts of places do loans. And uh, and they will ask you the reason that you want a loan. And a lot of people say that they either are buying a car or the other one is home improvements. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I think uh, buying a boat is a pretty massive home improvement. So when it came to the budget then, did you have like, again, because if you're, if you're buying a house or a flat, you know, your, your budget, I guess, is, is dictated to you by how, you know, if you're selling, by how much equity you have, therefore how much deposit you can put down and then how much you are eligible for when you're applying for a mortgage and you put those two together and then you've got your budget. But you didn't have any of that. So how did you get down to what your budget was and, and ultimately what was your budget? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I have no idea because I had been looking at boats online and I've seen sort of a few that I'm thinking I could live on. And I went to view this boat for £40,000 just to really go and see if I thought that I could live on one really. And so originally that was my budget. But obviously then I'd found this loan company and I started to look at what I could afford. And immediately I dropped my budget down to 20 grand. And I was like, if I can find something for 20 grand, then I think that is affordable for me. But it became very clear when I started to look at boats that 20 grand is just, it's just not enough if you want to live comfortably. Don't get me wrong, lots of people buy boats for 20 grand. 
but they are project boats. There, there is a lot to do on all of them. I was buying in winter, or that's when I was looking, and I could have waited till summer, but I am impatient. So I, uh, I was looking in the winter, and you go around all these boats, and they are damp, and they are cold, and they are just like unappealing. So I just basically kept raising and raising my budget until I felt like I could live on that. And that landed around the sort of 30K mark. And luckily I was using this calculator for the loan company. And I think they get spammed with emails every single time someone uses that calculator. So they must have just hated me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but it it sort of, I was thinking that I was paying 700 pounds for my rent. So if my loan could be somewhere around four to five hundred pounds and then maybe I could spare sort of two hundred pounds to pay for like a mooring or something then that would sort of balance out. Now that you're obviously you're living on the boat and you've lived on the boat for you know 18 months or so like what what are your monthly outgoings is it just the loan? No it's so much bigger than than you'd think. I actually get messages about this on Instagram all the time people trying to figure out what is the real cost of living on a boat and I had this spreadsheet written down where I had like my loan amount in and then different costs of different marinas in my sort of area where I was looking and the CRT costs. And there was one marina that was on, um, on, on a river. And if you live on a river and not a canal, then you can actually pay a lower canal river trust license fee. And so it was just doing all this balancing out. But I suppose the big thing is the big costs are you've got the loan that I pay which is £555 a month. And then I also pay for the marina, which I live in, which is around £280 a month. And then I pay my CRT license every three months. And that's about 270 every three months. But on top of that is my travel costs. And this is something that you've really got to bear in mind when you're looking at buying a boat. I was living in London before. So my travel costs were very low. I lived in zone three and I think it cost me £150 every month for unlimited travel. And now I live outside of London and commute in and my travel costs have gone up to £300 a month. It's just insane. So so actually the cost of living now is much higher than it was when I was living in London. But I suppose the main thing is I am putting £500 a month into my boat and my boat has essentially become my savings account. And I think the good thing about that is that's not something I can dip into. Like I was saying earlier, if I were to put aside £300, if my mum says to me, hey, Lid, let's go to Greece, I'd be like, okay, (laughs) I've got that money. Whereas now my boat is my savings account. And so I think it's a really sensible idea. And now at the end of this five years, when I pay off this boat, I'm going to own something that costs 35 grand ish and hopefully would have gone up in price or gone up in value. And so hopefully at the, at the end of this time, I'm going to have a boat that is worth around 40 grand and I might actually be able to buy something in the home counties, like a flat or something with that deposit. Have you, in terms of, yeah, the, the future value of, of narrowboats, have you had many conversations, whether that be with finance people or with people that you that you meet in the community? Is there a feeling that the value of narrowboats like goes up in line with inflation or do they do they stay at a pretty, pretty steady value? Yeah, I've had this conversation a few times, actually, and it's uh, it's it's hard to know, really. But basically, they don't go up in value as much as a house does. They just they just don't. But they stay fairly 
consistent if you don't really do anything to it. If you improve the boat a lot and put a lot on there, then yeah, of course they'll go up in value. You find yourself improving the boat anyway as you go along. It's not really something that can be helped. I mean, since I've had my boat, I've like added a washing machine, I've added new batteries, I've you know completely decorated the inside, I've painted the outside. I've done so much to the boat. So it's, it's impossible for that to not be more valuable now. And then after you applied for your loan, how much of a deposit did you need to put down? Okay, so I actually have the details of the estimate that I've got right here. So the boat was up on Apollo Duck for 35 grand. I'm thinking, okay, I can shave two grand off of that by a bit of bargaining. So I've put in 33,000 pounds. The deposit they want is 26%. So for me, that comes out to around 8,500 quid. And then the loan after the down payment was uh, just below 25 grand. So it's a, it's a 26% deposit. Is that in line with other people's deposit values? Or is that just purely unique to you, do you think, because of the fact that, you know, of your age and your your lacking of credit history? Because again, houses now, you can obviously put down deposits for a house for as little as 5%. So is is that more in keeping with the with the canal community? You know, I've never spoken to anyone else who has got a loan for their boat in the way that I have. It seems to be that most people get loans from friends and family. Maybe they have some money and then they take out a smaller loan from a bank or something like that. So I really have no idea what other people have done. But my interest rate is currently 12.9% and that won't change. But I was looking at doing it over a longer period of time, like 10 years, for example. And then I think it was about 15 0.9% or something like that. And I think the deposit changes with that, but it's completely down to the loan company, what they want you to pay. I don't think though it was based on my affordability. I think that's just their standard rate based on how much money I wanted to borrow. Okay. So what were you looking for? Was there anything which is like, right, well, for my, for my living conditions, I need to have this, or I need to be living here. Like what, what was it? Did you have a checklist at all that you used to, to, to really find the perfect boat at the perfect time? When people are buying boats, there's like a few things that they take into consideration. The first one is the stern. So whether that's a cruiser stern, a trad stern or a semi-trad stern. For me, the cruiser stern, which is one which has the most outside space, was what I wanted. And I think that's because I just wanted that sort of balcony, essentially, just somewhere that I can sit outside the boat that's not going to be on the towpath or on the marina. I don't know why it just really appealed to me. And I thought that my family, you know, who are interested in boating, they're going to want to come along and I'm not going to want to be the only person outside steering the boat. I'm going to want people to be able to stand out back with me. So for me, I really wanted a cruiser stern. The other thing that you have to take into consideration is what layout do you want? So the traditional layout would be having your bed right next to your stern door. So close to where your engine is. And then You'll have the bathroom, the kitchen in the middle, and then at the front will be your saloon or your living room. And then normally has doors going out onto the well deck to go outside at the front. The reverse layout, which is what I prefer, is that you go from the back straight down into the kitchen or the saloon. So the, so the kitchen or the living room. And then at the front is your bedroom. And that's because when I was cruising, I definitely didn't want people to be coming in from outside and having to walk past my bedroom to go and get an orange squash. So for me, 
it was always going to be the reverse layout. So Cruiser's turn, reverse layout. And then the, the sort of final thing that people take into consideration, I think, is what sort of toilet you want. I don't know if I had a preference when I was looking, but the more boats I looked at and the more videos I watched about it, the more I thought I'd like a pump-out toilet. I was thinking I was definitely going to be living in a marina. So having a pump-out toilet is less of a problem if you live in a marina because they usually have a machine to do it. Whereas the other option is to have what they call a cassette toilet. And that is basically like a caravan type toilet where you have to empty it every three days, really, depending on how much it's used. And uh, you and I, we've done caravanning. We were there as kids in the caravans. It's just not, it's, that's not the life for me. If I was going to live on a boat, I wanted to be living on a boat as if it was a house and not having to think about my my toilet waste every three days. So yeah, that's why I chose the, the pump out. And, uh, and luckily I was able to find a boat that encompassed all those things. And then on top of that, the sort of bonus about my boat was that it has this massive bed. And uh, I'd seen so many boats where they have this sort of three quarter double bed. And that's just, I'm a fidget. So when I found uh, my boat, it doesn't have a well deck. So the entire front section is a bed and it actually is like a super king size bed, which now I do have a boyfriend who's six foot three. I find quite ideal. <laughs> narrow boats. I know you get wide beams and I know you get narrow boats, but are they all the same width? Yeah. So they are six foot wide, uh, the narrow boats. So that you've got a few different sizes. You've got the, the narrow boat is six foot wide. The full wide beam is 12 foot wide. But then in between that, you can get a 10 foot, an eight foot. And uh, I've even seen nine foot wide boats. But yeah, the standard is six and 12 or 10 would be the other one. And how long is the boat that you finally settled on? The boat that I've got is 45 foot. That is quite small. It's small for a liverboard boat. And obviously I'd have loved to have bought a 55 foot boat or a 60 foot boat or something like that because you just get more space. But the thing is with every foot, you have to pay more money for everything because your CRT goes up in cost depending on the length of your boat. Your marina fees go up in cost. If you're on a wide beam, you have to pay double your marina fees because you have to pay for your 60 foot boat twice. It can get really expensive. And so basically narrow and short was what became ideal for me. And dad and I, we did go and look at boats that were 40 foot and they were just, we, we just decided that they were too small. I'd have loved a 55 foot boat, but really 45 foot was my budget because obviously they get more expensive as they get bigger. Have you got any examples as to how much a boat which was 10 foot longer might have cost you? It's hard to say because I don't think they go up in an even amount. It's not like I can say, oh, an extra 10 foot would have cost me an extra 10 grand. It's so variable. On Apollo Duck, you can put in your, your budget and if I was putting in, you know, 35 grand, nothing was coming up in there really that was bigger than than 50 foot. And, and the ones that were 50 foot or 55 foot were of lesser quality and also had less good equipment and tech, really, like inverters and solar panels and batteries and all of those things you have to take into account. And I think my one piece of advice 
would be when you're looking at buying a boat, try not to focus on what it looks like. Try to focus on what it has and if it has more than one way of doing things. Because one of the benefits of my boat was I had radiators going all down one side and I also had the stove. So that's two ways of heating the boat. And because I was living in a marina, I would also be able to plug into electric and have electric heaters. So that's three ways to stay warm. And I'm not going to be completely stuffed if one of those goes. And I've also got a couple of ways to heat water. So my uh, my Eberspacker, which is what heats my radiators, also heats my water. So I can put that on a timer in the morning and that's going to come on and I'm going to have hot water for a shower. Also on the back of my stove, there was a, a back boiler, which I actually had removed because it didn't really seem to be doing anything and it seemed to make my stove less good. But it was very appealing to me at the time when I was buying my boat because I thought, okay, well, that is free hot water when I'm heating the boat with the uh, with the stove and now I also have an immersion heater for hot water so definitely look at more than one way of doing those things of cooking of heating the boat and of heating water because those things are so important and you're going to be miserable if uh, if one of those things goes and you're having to live without hot water it's just awful so when you were searching for a boat how many boats did you look at did you have any horror stories? Were there any which were just awful that you'd like to tell us about? And how far were you willing to travel to find the right boat? Where, where was the furthest you traveled to have a look at a boat? That's the thing you've got to take into consideration when you're buying a boat, uh, especially if you live in London like me and I needed to get the boat back down to London, as how long it was going to take you to get the boat down. So there was a couple of weekends where Dad and I, we drove up to the north of England. I'm trying to think how far we went. Maybe Derby was the furthest that we went to view a boat. But I'd started my search at the end of September, beginning of October. It was it was miserable weather at the time. And I think I had some pretty negative experiences, really, because a lot of the boats I viewed were shown to me by brokers and they didn't have the people living on them. And so they were in marinas. They weren't generally plugged into the electric. We'd go on the boat in our coats and our muddy shoes and the brokers weren't able to turn on the heating before we arrived or turn on the lights or really show us how anything works. So you just kind of go in this damp, small space. Some of them really stank of diesel. There was a point where I was thinking, oh God, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And my dad was so on board for me living on a boat at this point because he's such a boat lover. I felt like I didn't have the heart to tell him. (laughs) Um, because I'd just been on so many that I didn't like and I just thought oh god am I crazy for thinking I can live on a boat so how many boats did you look at then not loads to be honest I think we stepped on maybe seven that's still quite a lot though do you think I'm not sure some people say they they only saw one and they loved it um I didn't really love any of them I I liked a couple that were 40 grand but as I said that just wasn't my budget in the end anything well below 30 grand I just found them really like unlivable to be honest the thing with like with bathrooms especially is a big one because some of the bathrooms are like wet rooms and that was a big no-no for me I just wasn't a fan of like my toilet being wet when I was showering and things like that and uh and that's something that happens in the in the cheaper boats and the on the day that we viewed the boat that I eventually bought we saw two boats and we saw the other boat first and we were on there and I think we left there thinking yeah that's that's the one because it was it was sort of good enough you know 
there, there definitely needed some some work. I think the windows needed taking out and all of the wood redoing around the windows because they were they were rotten because they'd got really really wet. But we were like, okay, well, we could we could do that. The rest of the boat is is fine. So we, yeah, we left there thinking that was the one actually, and we were thinking, why are we even bothering going to this other viewing? But then we we did. It wasn't very far away. And yeah, that's the thing. These two boats, they weren't very far away from where I actually lived. It was uh, actually in the county that I lived in, even if it was the other side of the county. So I mean, that was a massive result. And they were both in marinas. They both had space in marinas that I could potentially move straight into. So, But anyway, so we went to see the boat that I eventually bought and the owner was there. So I wasn't seeing a broker. I was seeing an owner. And we stepped on and he'd obviously been there for a couple of hours, even though he wasn't living on the boat anymore. And he turned on the stove. I think he turned on the Ibis backer to get hot water. And it was freezing cold that day. And we walked in the boat and we just went, oh, this is so cozy. Mm. And immediately, I think dad just said to me, yeah, I can see you here. I can see that this is your boat. I think that sort of settled all of those worries for me i thought yeah i could live here i think also that i think that's the really interesting point because it's kind of similar to walking into again i keep i keep referring it back to buying a flat or a house when you know you can tell if there's somebody living in a flat or a house whether that place has been looked after uh, and i'm sure it's exactly the same for the boat the boat clearly the seller of your boat um cared enough about the boat that they really wanted to make sure that well one they really wanted to sell it but also two they weren't lazy enough to let somebody else sell it and they kind of wanted to sort of tell the story of the boat themselves and i'm sure you'll you'll tell us um if you needed to update any of the electricals or or any of the 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 tech or anything to sort of get it to how you wanted it but if that person was willing enough to come on and sort of show you how to live on the boat or how everything worked I guess you and dad would have had a, a deep down confidence that actually the boat had been well looked after rather than, you know, you guys were just going to be taking on somebody else's problem. Did you ever feel that way? 100%. I think the fact that um, Ian, his name was, Ian showed us the the boat himself and he had every single receipt for anything that he had ever bought. He had this folder that was just full of everything that he'd ever done. And we came in and he really wanted to show us how everything worked. I remember asking him if I could turn on the shower to check the water pressure, which is just not something I I had the opportunity to do on any other boat. And it was an ex-holiday boat. And so it had uh, like a dinette type thing in the front it didn't have a sofa it had sort of like two benches and I remember him saying like sit down sit down like I want you to really decide whether or not this is comfy enough for you you know in the sort of evenings when you get home from work and I I loved the boat so much at that point that I was thinking yeah Ian this is fine like what are you talking about (laughs) yeah it's just (laughs) just quite funny actually because that is one of the very first thing I did was uh was rip out those benches and put in a real sofa because let me tell you they were not that comfy Definitely a top tip. If you are selling your boat, just try and show it yourself because the the experience is always going to be a thousand times better than someone who doesn't know your boat showing it to a potential buyer. And also they're probably going to be a little bit more brave with offering less money. Whereas I was meeting Ian, I knew where the money was going. I knew what kind of guy he was. And so I almost felt bad saying to him, can I, uh, can I undercut your asking price? Because he was human to me, he wasn't just a a broker. Yeah, honestly, I think that's I think that's such a good point. But again, that wasn't just somewhere you were renting; it was 
the biggest purchase that you'd made in in your life so it was quite nice to hear that someone like ian had okay maybe he didn't didn't know a lot about you or or didn't know your circumstances but you know even just hearing that story gave me it's given me a good feeling that um you kind of got the best start but i i can almost with whilst saying that i almost want to eat my own words because i'm sure and again, I don't, I don't know all the horror stories, but I'm sure there were things on that boat that you wanted to change straight away. You've already mentioned about the sofa. But after you got the keys and you moved onto that boat for the first time, was there anything wrong with it which meant that everything wasn't happily ever after? Yeah, I think the major thing for me was when I was viewing the boat, I was very concerned about the rust on the outside. Uh, there was quite a lot of rust, especially around the chimney and things like that. And I was so nervous. I remember going into the survey and I was so nervous that the guy was just going to say to me, you can't buy this rust bucket. I mean, the inside seemed really well done. Everything seemed very solid, but the outside had some serious rust issues. And uh, and I had the survey done and this guy, Trevor, brilliant guy called Trevor, came to, to survey the boat. And he said to me, I think, I think it's really well looked after. And I said to him, yeah, but what about that rust? And he just said, it's not, it's not a big deal. And you'll save up and you'll get a paint job uh, done on it. And I was like, oh, right. How much does that cost? He's like, yeah, you know, around, you know, five to eight grand. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Five to, five to what? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you crazy? But dad and I just decided that I would save up that money and, and I'd and I'd get it done and uh, funnily enough I've actually just painted my boat myself and uh, saved myself eight grand and that was probably one of the best boating experiences I've had so far was being able to do that myself so yeah muck in. Is there anything else or aesthetically that you've changed on the interior of the boat to sort of make it feel a little bit more at home? Yeah, for some reason, when I was looking at buying a boat, dad and I decided that the only way that it was really going to feel like home is if you didn't have to walk around with your dirty laundry to go to a laundrette. So um, I'd been researching and um, there's this washing machine called the Candy washing machine. And it's essentially a very small washing machine. It's a four kilogram washing machine and it's really low energy and things like that. And so it's basically ideal for boats. And one day I found it. I found one on Gumtree in Dundee in Scotland. Right. They were selling it for like £100. And this washing machine, brand new, is £500. I mean, it's just insane. Because it's sort of a specialist thing, it's just so much more expensive. You know, you can buy an eight kilogram washing machine for 150 quid, but I couldn't buy this four kilogram washing machine for less than 500 pounds. It's just so much money. But this uh, this company was selling it on Gumtree and they were from Scotland. And so I messaged them and I was like, is this still available? And they're like, yes, it is, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'm nowhere near you. So I'm going to send a courier to pick up this washing machine. And they were like, what? This girl is crazy. <laughs> they're like, why the hell? Why does she want this tiny washing machine that's good for nothing? And they just had no idea of the value of it. And so I organized a courier to go and pick it up. And I was thinking, this is this is crazy cheap. I cannot believe that this courier is going to go get this washing machine for me for 40 quid from Scotland. And they're going to drive it down to London. And if something is too good to be true, it probably is because most couriers don't transport white goods. 
They don't do fridges. They don't do washing machines. And so I wasted 40 quid on, uh, on that. And eventually I basically hired a man with a van to drive to Scotland or who was in Scotland driving down to drive down my washing machine. And so I got like a 500 pound washing machine, basically brand new for less than 200 quid. And I think that is a bargain. So did you pay for a courier and and then that fell through? Yeah, because they, they turned up and they wouldn't do it. They were like, no, oh. it's a white good. We, we can't do that. And you, and you didn't look into that before it happened? <laughs> I, how would you know? How would, how would anyone know that unless you had like well, would, really read the fine print? I would have expected at least someone like Dad. If you said to Dad, Dad, I'm going to go and uh, I've bought this washing machine. It's in Dundee and I'm going to go and send FedEx to go and pick it up. I would have hoped Dad would have been you know, experienced enough to go, uh, not, not a good idea, Lid. Nope, Dad failed me. Damn. Our father failed me. Damn. <laughs> so, yeah. But even with the losing that £40, I, like, it was still an incredible saving, you know. I think, I think like, in the end, the man with a van cost me about 80 quid, And, you know, that is still an incredible saving. And we installed the washing machine on the boat. And this is the other thing. I had no idea if it was going to fit when I bought it because I had an idea of where it would go. But I didn't own the boat yet. So I couldn't, like, measure the cupboard of where I thought it was going to go. So I was just gambling. And I thought, well, the thing is, this washing machine is valuable to boaters in London. So if I can't make it fit, someone else will want it. Yeah. So you've got your washing machine and now you've come through... A relatively tough winter. I remember when you moved on. It was really snowy. It was. It was really, I mean, it was really, really cold. Yeah. There's a picture of me right outside the boat when I'm, uh, I think maybe one of the first times I'm unlocking it and it's just, yeah, I'm in like wellies and some dungarees and there's just snow everywhere around me. It was a, it was a rough winter to move onto a boat. And is it cold? Like for those of us who don't live on a boat or are thinking of moving onto a boat, they might be fearful of, of what a living on canal boat is like in the winter. Could you give us a bit of an insight as to whether it is comfortable or not? I will tell you what I tell everyone, which is, yeah, it's cold. Like a house is cold if you don't have the heating on in the winter. I think that is a major misconception is people just think it's it's really cold. But I mean, most people who live in a house have their heating come on every single day, normally on a timer or something. And so you kind of get out of touch with that. So yeah, it's, I would say it's, it's similar. Um, I can set my heating to come on at a certain time and I do every morning in the winter, but I don't set it to come on before I get home from work because when I come home from work, I put the fire on straight away. And so I'm cold for like an hour when I get home. But usually that's when I'm cooking and you sort of heat up the boat that way. And then after like two hours, you are too hot. You are opening that door. You're like, oh my God, I can't breathe in here. It's bloody boiling. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's quite extreme. I, I do I do remember times that we have visited you. Once you get the stove going, and I guess as well, once you, once you get cooking, it's, yeah, like you say, it's, it's quite cosy in there. I think it's actually a major skill just to... Uh, just to learn how to do the stove. And I remember getting really stroppy one day. It was uh, it was mum's birthday um, in January and I'd just moved onto the boat and, and you guys hadn't seen it yet and mum hadn't seen it. And I really wanted granddad to see it because he had sort of inspired me to get the loan and things. And so I invited everyone over and we were going to go there on the way to going uh, for dinner for mum's birthday. So we all were dressed up and it was freezing cold and we were on the boat 
And I was trying to prove to everyone that living on a boat isn't cold. It's not a cold experience. And so I was trying to get this fire going. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, oh, I do God. remember it. Yeah. And I was getting so stressed out. And mum was like laughing at me. And I, which is never, I do not respond to that well. Um, <laughs> and so, so, oh God. Yeah, I just, it was, it was so stressful. And I think it did take me like, that whole winter to get to the bottom of how to really do it and then at the beginning of every winter it takes me a month or so to really get into the swing of doing it again I don't know why it's just it's such a skill you never realized it was a skill like everyone send your kids to like cubs or like scouts please because it's such a skill to know so I think it's incredible that like you have gone through peaks and troughs you've learned a ton of new skills i can never imagine that my sister would have grown up and painted a boat or even bigger than that I, well i mean painting on the outside of a boat is really big but i know how to tile a kitchen i've tiled a kitchen and a bathroom whenever i need a laborer i can just come to you and george <laughs> so obviously you've now lived on the boat for circa 18 months i mean i've really enjoyed following your your journey on on instagram i think it was a great idea to start that and i think it's a really brilliant idea to, to start the podcast as well but obviously i know through speaking to you that you do get a lot of people reaching out to you with questions either from those who have got dreams about changing their lifestyle and do exactly what you did and, and those who, have, who are doing it who maybe want to do it a little bit more um what are the what are the most common questions that are sent to you maybe from people who are thinking about moving on a, onto a canal boat and uh, are there any misconceptions that uh, that people have that you've now learned about now that you have obviously been living on the water for 18 months yeah definitely the question i get asked most often is what are the costs of living on a boat and that is really why i wanted to do this episode and really be very raw and very open about what my costs are and how i afforded it yeah that's definitely what i get asked the most i think people are generally very surprised at the cost of the marinas and things like that and i was speaking to a girl recently who is uh, i think hoping to move over from south africa and buy a boat over here and she had no idea about winter mooring she'd never heard of the term winter mooring and i think that this is something that people should really you know get on board with or learn about because obviously continuously cruising is fantastic for six months of the year, maybe even eight months of the year, but for four months of the year, it's uh, it's pretty rough. I mean, especially because there's no flow in the water and canals really. So when it gets really cold, those canals can freeze over and you're supposed to move every two weeks. And uh, in the winter, you can just imagine that is a that is a rough time. And so I was telling this girl about winter mooring and essentially what you can do is in the winter, I think it's from, well, it's, I think it's four, it's four months of the year. So I think it must be November, December, January, February. You can stay put as long as you pay a winter mooring fee and you go to certain allocated winter mooring spots. And I've had a look at it as well. And there's some near me. I think they're really, really popular. And it's like one day of the year, they go live, all of these spaces online, and you can uh, you can basically book your space. And I think they go live at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or something. And they're generally all sold out by like 7 a.m. But they're, um, they're, they've all got different facilities. So some of them will be a marina. So you can pay a reduced price to live in a marina for four months. Some of them will be on the cut, but it's got a water point and things like that. And other ones will just be on the cut with no real facilities, but it's much cheaper and you don't have to move. And I think that that is the, uh, 
the big benefit for a lot of people you know maybe you're just a, a leisure boater maybe you don't actually live on your boat but you're just a leisure boater and you don't want to put it in a marina but you just don't want to have to move it every two weeks and so I think a winter mooring is a is a fantastic idea that's something that everyone should look into so look, I mean I, all I can say really is is good luck with this and I can honestly say to those who are, who are still listening if you're still listening thank you for obviously listening all this time but I've learned a lot through this because I didn't know all of the stuff that we were chatting about today and i'm really i'm looking forward to hearing everybody's story so i know i'm on your podcast but i i guess i should really say thank you for having me yeah i'm taking i'm taking over the podcast again this is after all my podcast so uh so thank you for being on really that's okay that's okay well i'm, I'm gonna leave i'm gonna go out the door now you're on your own all right. Well, thank you so much, Elliot, for coming on the show. This has been a fantastic intro, I think, to what the podcast will be about and my experience so far. I really want to start getting to know some other people living on boats. So uh, let's end this episode here. And hopefully next episode, we'll learn something about someone who is not me. You've been listening to The Narrowboat Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head to iTunes to subscribe and leave a review. Check out the show notes to find links to anything we've mentioned, including where to find me and my guest on social media. Next time, I'm joined by Karis from Wild and Freedom on Instagram. She and I will be speaking about raising a five-year-old as a continuous cruiser and how to create a more values-driven life. So look out for that. But for now, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.